Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. We're coming close to that midpoint of Lent. This particular Sunday is a big one in the Eastern churches. This is called the Sunday of the Veneration of the Holy Cross, the third Sunday of Lent. But speaking of Lent, I'd like to encourage you, invite you to come to experience a powerful part of the Eastern church's tradition on Lent, and that is the Great Canon of St. Andrew of Crete, which we'll be celebrating on Thursday, April 7th at my Church of Annunciation at 7 p.m. The Great Canon of St. Andrew of Crete is a magnificent walk through the entire scripture of anything that has to do with repentance and sin and redemption. It mentions all these characters, some of them even kind of obscure, that we may not even have heard of or recall very well, in instances where there was sin, there was betrayal, there was repentance, redemption. It's a magnificent walk through the scriptures. And it's called a canon because it was done usually during matins. And it's done each evening of the first week of Lent. It's sort of broken up because it's a very, very lengthy service. But on the week that is during April 7th, that week of Lent in the Eastern Church, we do the St. Andrew Creed canon in its entirety in one session. And it is long, believe me. So we invite you to come and to kind of Move in and out of it as you wish, as you can, depending on your endurance. You don't have to go through the whole thing, but invite you to try it. Stay. At least experience some of it. 
because not only does it have this incredible walk through the scripture, through the verses, but the music is very, very beautiful, very hauntingly beautiful. And also, it has the marked gesture of the prostration. In other words, where we take our entire being, we take our entire body, we bow to the ground and touch our head to the ground after each one of these verses. And it's a tell you, it's a real workout, but it's a repentance on an entire whole level of our being, our heart, our mind, our body, our entire being. The great can of St. Andrew Creed. I highly encourage you to come and experience it. Now, during that time, we will have a priest available, a priest or two, perhaps, available for confession. So if you haven't gotten in your confession for Lent yet, you may want to try it then. It's a fantastic atmosphere in which to do it. So there'll be confessions available throughout the service because the service just goes on and on and on, and you can experience it however much you would like or able to. If you can go the distance, that's incredible. It's marvelous. But at least experience some of it. Again, April 7th at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, April 7th, Thursday, the Great St. Andrew of Crete a real experience of Eastern Lent, Lent in the Eastern lung of the church. But we said that this is the day of the veneration of the cross. In the third Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine church, we put the cross out there in front of us as we enter the midpoint of Lent. And we do this in a kind of a very, in a sense, a triumphant way. Anytime the Eastern church brings out the cross, it's always in a very triumphant way. We have also the feast of the exaltation of the cross, which is shared also by our Latin Rite brethren on September 14th. We make a pretty big deal of these celebrations of the cross. We decorate them and we have processions where we hold up the cross and we bow before and we say litanies and we say, Lord, have mercy. And over and over again, we have special troparian verses that refer to the cross and its mystery, but it's always in a sense of victory. So we plant the cross in front of us in the middle of the church. In fact, we literally do that in the liturgy of the Byzantine church, where the priest takes the cross in procession, led by the deacons and servers, and they're incensing the cross. The cross is richly decorated, and we bring it to the center of the church in what we call a tetrapod. It's a four-sided table, and we lay that cross on there, and then we bow before it, and everybody comes up and kisses it while we sing these special hymns to the veneration of the cross. We wear red. Usually the cross is decorated, usually with at least some kind of red color. It's usually a wooden cross. And the reason we do that is it's a kind of a banner, a symbol to sort of goad us on. Like usually about this time of Lent, halfway through it, things might start to get pretty tough. Those things that we gave up, you know, <laughs> especially in, for us and the Eastern churches, we like to give up meat and dairy products all through Lent. And probably about that time, most people are dying for a good old fashioned hamburger. So they start to get really tempted. And you might even be tempted to say, ah, heck with this land. What is all this for? Why am I doing this? You know, your body starts to speak to you in a sense. Well, the cross is there to give us the purpose for all this. It's sort of a, almost like soldiers looking up at a flag as they're entering into battle. They're a little bit battle weary and they see that flag and it invigorates them. It gives them a reason to go on. The reason, the, the why behind all of their struggle. Well, it's the same thing with the cross in the Byzantine church on the third Sunday of Lent. One time somebody walked into my church of Annunciation looking around all the icons and the icon screen and the chandelier and enjoying the smell and fragrance of incense and the peace in the church and so on. But they asked me in a kind of a concerned way, Father, we don't see any corpus or body of Christ on the crucifixes in this church. And I said, well, actually there are. And I pointed out to them one of the murals on the wall, which is a mural of the crucifixion, which of course has Christ's body on it. And I pointed out a couple of other crosses in which Christ's body was painted on there. But at the same time, they were correct. There are other crosses in which 
we do not have the body of Christ painted on there. We don't have a corpus. A couple of reasons for this, and it gives us a good understanding into the soul, the heart of the Eastern churches. First of all, the Eastern church adopted the style of iconography because it was two-dimensional and flat. In other words, it was dimensionless. It was unlike how we see things in our world today. In other words, in our reality, we see things in three dimensions, height, width, and depth. Well, in iconography, we strive always to give a sense of peeking into the next world, the next world sort of peeking back at us, sort of a meeting point of heaven and earth. And so we sort of eliminate the dimensions as we know them on this earth. There is some sense of it, but yet at the same time it's eliminated. So we tended to stay with the flat figures, such as paint on canvas or on a wall. Eastern churches, by and large, do not have statues. Nothing wrong with statues. Statues are wonderful. I love seeing beautiful statues, and especially in, in the churches of our Latinite brethren. Big fan of Michelangelo's Pietà. I used to go visit and pray before it every day when I was a student in Rome. Big fan of Michelangelo. So nothing wrong with statues. Statues are magnificent. But in the Eastern church, they just simply chose to go with the two-dimensional representation, largely of paint on a surface. Now, also in this regard, and if you look into the sort of the soul of the Eastern church at spirituality, we're always trying to point the gaze, the attention of the viewer to the ultimate meaning of something, kind of like its theological significance, not so much its natural significance. We have a touch of that. It's kind of like one foot on earth and one foot in the next life. And so oftentimes you'll see crosses without any image on there, or the image of Christ that is on there is not necessarily real graphic. In other words, it's not dripping with blood, as you might see in some renditions in the Western art, such as in statues and so on. They see large corpuses, life-size, with the, the wounds of Christ very graphic. And that certainly has its value. There's a purpose to that, a good reason for that. But in the East, what we want to do, what we try to do, is to have a little touch of the real, but yet to sort of usher our gaze forward into the meaning of this, the ultimate meaning, that it's not, the focus is not just on the actual physical suffering, but its meaning and its ultimate redemption in the resurrection of Christ. So just like, for instance, in the icons of the nativity of Christ, we'll see anytime Christ is pictured as a child, a little boy or a baby, he's always pictured with his face being a little bit older, almost like a man boy. And why is that? Well, same reason. Yes, he came in the world as a child, as a baby, like all of us, because he was fully human, but he came for a purpose. And so the iconography, what it does is it kind of pushes our gaze towards that purpose. So we see him as a child, but yet there's that image of, or that hint, that's sort of like, the, like a glimpse into the future of what this child will become, sort of the why behind the childhood. So that's very characteristic of the Eastern spirituality, Eastern churches. They're always kind of going after the theological significance of something. And we do that not only with our art and our iconography, but we do it with our liturgical texts, especially on a feast day such as this, where we look at the cross, and what we do is we look at its significance, and we look at it as an archetype and how it was foreshadowed in the, much of the images in the Old Testament. And we do this by singing and chanting certain liturgical verses. For instance, here's some of the verses from the Matin service for the Sunday of the Veneration of the Cross. Come, Elisha the prophet, and tell us plainly, what was the wood that you cast into the water? It was the cross of Christ, which draws us up from the depths of corruption, and we venerate it with faith forever. This comes from the second book of Kings, chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, where 
Elijah throws a stick of wood into some water. It's a very kind of a short story. You wonder why it's even in there. Well, the fathers of the church, especially the Eastern Church, look back. They sort of read back into that and they realize, ah, that was a premonition of the cross. You know, wood and water, get it? Wood and water, Christ, water from the side. Eventually that would give rise to, in the church, baptism. Here's another quote. Jacob prefigured your cross in days of old, O Christ, when he venerated the top of Joseph's holy staff, in which he saw foreshadow the dread scepter of your kingdom. And now we venerate your cross with faith forever. Of course, that comes from Genesis chapter 47, 31. So Jacob even prefigured the cross as well. We're going to talk more about these prefigurements and the meaning of the cross in the Eastern Church on this Sunday, this third Sunday of Lent, the Sunday of the veneration of the Holy Cross. We'll talk about all this when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. And now, a special Lenten invitation from Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. There's a magnificent service that we pray in our church during the fifth week of Lent. It's called the service of the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. This service is of timeless duration, but we invite you to experience any part of it throughout the night. There will also be an opportunity for confession. And if you stay for any part of this service, I guarantee you, you'll start to be moved to one to go to confession. It's a profound, profound journey into the whole phenomenon of repentance. As you walk through the Bible with all the Bible verses, the beautiful chants, the prostrations. And it's just this incredible journey to enter into. We also invite seminarians and theologians to the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, starting at 7, Thursday evening, April 7th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Complete details on the events link at byzantinecatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. On this third Sunday of Lent, the midpoint of Lent, hopefully you're not getting too tired, but if you are, just gaze upon the cross that is put before us, the middle of the church, richly decorated and venerated in Eastern churches. That's why we do it, to goad us on, to give us the why behind all of our ascetical disciplines of Lent, because it is through the cross, and only through the cross, that we will know the resurrection. You know, I find that in our life today, especially when the church gets criticized, it gets knocked, made fun of, and mocked as it does today. 
But actually, what I believe when you come down to it, the reason this happens is because of the cross. You see, our faith, the Christian faith, when it is true, is the only faith, and especially in the Catholic and Orthodox churches, we're the only entity that will not water down, erode, dilute, or even remove the cross from the equation. In other words, just as Lent is teaching us, the way to anything, anything worthwhile, beautiful, and holy, is through the cross. There is just no way around it, and the world despises that. I often find when I talk with people about the teachings of the church, or gripes they have with the church, and then they give me enough time and we talk enough civilly and fraternally, oftentimes find that they can kind of see what I'm trying to say. They can walk with me. You can start to sort of soften them and convince them if, if their heart is in the right place. And they might even start to actually understand the church is teaching a lot of issues that the church is always misunderstood on. But I find that there comes a crossroad in a discussion a crossroad in which a choice has to be made. And that crossroad, standing at that crossroad, is the cross. If people will walk with you up until the point where the cross comes into the picture, and then they have to make a choice. Will they accept this faith that seemed to be pretty sensible up till then? You know, they understand it better. Now that you explain it to me, as people say, well, I didn't really know that. Now that you explain it to me, yeah, I guess the church's position makes perfect sense on it now. But then when you ask them, you tell them, yeah, but part of that, means dying to self and rising to another, in other words, self-denial in some degree. And whenever the choice is made not to go any further, or the choice is made to make fun or still stay opposed to the church, to make fun of the church, mock the church, disagree with the church, I find that, in my observation, it's not so much the teaching of the church, it's the fact that that teaching will never remove from the equation the cross. Neither did Jesus. Remember when the people walked by the cross? What did they say? They, the gospel says that they were cocking their heads and jeering and saying, hey, we'll believe, we'll follow you, just come down from the cross. Just no cross. You know, all that stuff about healing people, restoring sight to the blind and raising people from the dead. And Oh yeah, that, that's great. Sure, we'll take that. That's fine. It's okay. But not the cross. Christ would not come down from the cross because he loved us too perfectly. He knew that that was the answer, and we had to move through the cross to get to paradise, to get to heaven, to get the thing that we really want. There's no way around it. And sometimes, those of us who follow the cross, it's a cross to follow the cross because people don't understand, and they may mock us, they may refuse to speak to us, they may want to harm us, malign us, whatever, just as they did to Christ. But the cross is still the way, the way to heaven. And that's why we put it up in front of us in the Byzantine church during this third Sunday of Lent. And we do it in a way that is positive, not negative. It's triumphant because it was only God who could take on the cross and turn it, turn something awful into something victorious. As I mentioned, we have many phrases, many references in the scriptures in which we read back into the Old Testament by virtue of the New Testament. And we do this liturgically in the Eastern churches. And it's amazing how sometimes how close it really is. Like if you read, for instance, the Psalm 40 talks about being betrayed. Also, Psalm 22 talks about being scoffed at, casting lots, being pierced, 
Or the psalmist even says the words that Christ said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 68 refers to the vinegar and the gall. Then you go to the prophet Zechariah chapter 11, referring to 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah chapter 50, referring to the suffering servant who was slapped, spin on, and gave his back for scourging. Isaiah 53, he was marred beyond that of a man, saying nothing. We also see that in Jeremiah 11. These references go on and on. References that are in the Old Testament that are prefigurements of the cross and of Jesus Christ himself. And these are all brought out in the liturgical verses of the Eastern Church, especially on this Sunday of the veneration of the cross. As I mentioned, people come forward and they come forward while we sing certain chants. They come forward to venerate the cross and we sing this. Today the master of the creation, Lord of glory, is nailed to the cross and his side is pierced. And he who is the sweetness of the church tastes gall and vinegar. A crown of thorns is put upon him who covers the heaven with clouds. He is clothed with a cloak of mockery. And he who formed man with his hands is struck by a hand of clay. He who wraps the heaven in clouds is smitten upon his back. He accepts spinning and scourging, reproach and buffeting. And all these things my deliverer and God endures for me that am condemned, that in his compassion he may save the world from error. I'd like to conclude our program today by offering to you the gift of the sound of the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir as they sing one of our most beloved hymns of this Lenten season, a hymn called The Grieving Mother.
Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.